and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Get wisdom, get insight or understanding. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you do, get insight, get understanding. Verse 8 is worth adding as well. Speaking of wisdom here, Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. How would these verses relate to our study on covenants? Well, let's take a look. Some people consider the covenants of the Bible to be in number of two or five or seven. Many look at it differently. Andrew Murray broke the covenants down into two, the Old and the New Testament, of which St. Augustine wrote, The Old Testament is revealed in the New, and the New Testament veiled in the Old. Or, the New is in the Old contained, and the Old is in the New explained. Either way, we will see that both the New and the Old Testaments are part of a whole and work together to reveal the covenants and show how they are fulfilled. Let's step back a moment. Have you ever even seen the word or noticed the word covenant in the Bible before? Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hates him. He will repay him to his face. The covenants are the DNA strand that ties the whole book, God's plan, together. In a nutshell, God made man in their image. Man sinned. Relationship was broken between God and man, and there was no way to live with God in his kingdom. God makes covenant with mankind, to make a way for sin to be washed away and relationship to be restored, to make a way to live forever in his kingdom once again. If we are going to place our trust in God, then shouldn't we know who God is and what he is like, what he has done on our behalf, who we are in Christ, and how we are to live in light of God's covenant promises? Why, yes, of course. A.W. Tozer wrote, Man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is as pure or as base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. The Making of a Covenant Travel back with me in time to ancient Hebrew ways of thinking. Put your thinking cap on. Put that Hebrew thinking cap on. 
The story of the Bible is the story of the Hebrew wife of God and the Gentile bride of Christ grafted into the Hebrews. The Abrahamic covenant, is it still relevant to us today? It began as a blood covenant with Abram. God called himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and ultimately the God of Israel. Through Jesus, we can all have access to salvation, the Jew and the Gentile. The Abrahamic covenant made new, better, translated as renewed in the Strong's, a primate root to be new, causatively to rebuild or renew or repair, is now a better covenant through Jesus Christ, according to Psalm 105, 7-11. The walk of blood done to seal covenant promises in Genesis 15, 9-10, here's a couple of the highlights from that passage. Abram asks God, How do I know these things will come to pass? He asked in faith. Well, God reassured Abram by asking him to prepare a sacrifice of a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Five animals. The number five to the Hebrews represents grace. The animals were cut in two, and the covenant partner would walk in the middle of the animals himself, saying, May this be done to me if I do not keep my covenant oath. These two covenant partners were becoming one as the animal was one. The animal represented the life of the covenant, the life of the covenant partner, and represented their willingness to give up their own lives and begin a new walk unto death. The covenant partners would hold hands and walk in a figure eight as they walked through the blood. The Hebrews would understand that the number eight symbolized infinity or never-ending or new beginnings. Do you remember how many souls were saved on Noah's Ark? Interesting. Yeah, that was eight as well. The animal's blood was a substitute for their own. Just like in the covenant of marriage, a blood covenant is a promise to give the other partner your life, your love, and your protection forever. In this covenant, God took the place of both partners in the form of a smoking oven and a burning torch, which represented the presence of God like on Mount Sinai. God swore, made the promise by himself, because there was none other greater than himself. There were other acts in the making of an ancient covenant, like the exchanging of garments which signifies all that I own I give to you, and all that is yours is available to me. There was an example in First Samuel with David and Jonathan who exchanged robes and armor. The garment represents the person. And Jesus exchanged his white garment of righteousness for our rags of unrighteousness. In Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis and Revelation 19, the bride of Christ is dressed in white linen. That righteousness is not our own, but it comes from Christ. There's also another part of this covenant, an exchanging of belts. Your enemies become my enemies. In Ephesians chapter 6, in covenant with God, we promise to enter into spiritual warfare with him and battle God's enemies to our death. The belt also represents strength. 
There was a sign of the covenant circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. Compared to Ephesians 2, circumcision and uncircumcision now one body. Abrahamic circumcision was to remind the people that the seed of fruitfulness is from God. The new covenant partner's sign is the sign of a circumcised heart. In Hebrews 10:16 it says, "This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them." There was also an exchanging of names. God took on the covenant names, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. Covenant partners are now known by each other's names, who think and talk and act alike, an implied power of attorney. Jesus took on the name Son of Man, and we took on the name Christian. A few points on establishing the covenant. Some commentators say the Torah was Greekified and turned from being called instruction of God's doctrine to law. Of course, some disagree with that too. We can see, however, that the Torah is far beyond the law and includes instruction on pleasing God. God said, I will never break my covenant with you. Judges 2.1 Some say the New Testament has replaced the Old Testament. If the law or the instructions of the Old Testament are done away with, why do we find it being taught from after the second coming of Christ in Micah 4, verses 1 and 2? On eating of the covenant meal, the Lord sent Melchizedek to eat a meal with Abram and to bless him. This was a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Messiah in Genesis chapter 14. The bread represented the bodies the wine, the blood. Even today, Middle Eastern countries use the covenant meal to ratify a treaty or a covenant. They may shake hands on a deal, but it will not be honored unless the covenant meal is shared. The Passover is a picture to us of Jesus as the Passover lamb. For us today, the communion ceremony. The memorial, covenant reminder to the partners and their descendants forever. Plant a tree or a stone and sprinkle it with the blood of the covenant. This was a memorial set forth due to the covenants. Let's step back one more time for a deeper meaning of the word covenant. Because today we live a life in the time of contracts. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word was berith, to cut and pass between the flesh and the blood. The covenant idea came from God in the original language, as I explained earlier, where those that were part of the covenant passed through the animal's flesh in the pattern of of an eight or infinity. For the Greeks, there had to be a new word that was created because their mind was influenced already by the new world, by the Greeks. The only word similar in meaning was sunteki. I think it's pronounced that way, based on legal equality of parties. 
The idea of God's priority in covenant was absent in the Greek language, so they had to come up with a new word for it. Hebrew and Greek were translated to Latin, to the King James English, as covenant. Today we use covenant or promise interchangeably, and some even use testament in its place, although there is a difference to the Hebrew or the Greek-influenced mind. Modern English, um, covenant or promise, is made by the living. In modern English, last will and testament are directions to be carried out on behalf of a dead person. So there's a little bit of as, oh, what was his name? It was an English pastor that spoke of the degreasing of the church. He said the Old Testament was finished by 400 BC, although not all canonized until 100 BC with Malachi being the last prophet with writings of thus saith the Lord. God is now silent during the second time for 400 years. The first time was 400 years in Egypt. During this time, the Greeks wrote much to influence the world with their philosophy. The books of the Apocrypha were also written during this time, influenced by the Greek philosopher Socrates. He was accused, you know you know him, I'm sure you do, accused of corrupting the youth with his teachings. He was condemned to death by drinking hemlock. He waxed eloquent on dying that death was a great release. The next 400 years, the entire New Testament is written, beginning with James in A.D. 40 to Revelation A.D. 80 to 90s, as God once again speaks through man. Zacharias, in fact, was the first to hear after 400 years in Luke chapter 1, and that's an interesting chapter. Anyway, these are important to note because the effects of Greece on our modern-day thinking have uh, changed our idea of what a contract and what a covenant would be. The Greeks actually affected quite a bit of our culture and our philosophy. Uh, Greek architecture gave us porticos, democracy in sports. They influenced us by, that was an obsession of the Greeks. Entertainment was as well, debates, theater, leisure time. Leisure time is a big thing. Values, our morals and values came from them. And um, a lot of our schools are teaching from this point of view. God says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts shape our behavior, our lifestyle, and our character. And that's what the Hebrews were influenced by, God's word and his way of thinking. The Hebrews worked six days. They rested on the seventh. No, democracy was not mentioned in the Bible. Bodily exercise profits little. To the Hebrews, death is an enemy. Ignorance or disregard to God's word makes one very vulnerable to temptation. That's why we are to hide God's word in our heart so that we will not sin against our God. We can be easily influenced. That's why it's important to hide that word in our hearts to check all of our actions, our motives, our ideas, our thoughts, and check it against God's word. So the first one on our list was the Edenic Covenant. That had to do with the Garden of Eden. It is represented in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. It's a conditional covenant between God and Adam. 
and this governs man's creation in this perfect, innocent life in Eden. It presented a simple test of obedience and a death penalty and ended shortly after it was made when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The next covenant is the Edemic covenant. It's an unconditional covenant between God and all the fallen humans. Satan's tool, that evil serpent, was cursed, and the first promise of the Redeemer was given. This covenant covers sin and curses, God's mercy, also being banished from Eden, they lost the land, and it mentions the trees in the Garden of Eden. Now Satan has the authority over the power of the air, and this particular covenant stays in place as long as sin is present on the earth. The next covenant would be during Noah's day. After sin entered the world, it bloomed to full flower, and there was judgment and a reset because of God's mercy. The Noahic covenant is an unconditional covenant, and it was made to secure the earth as a stage for the restitution of all things, as in Acts 3.21, when all will be administered by Christ in the millennial kingdom, Ephesians 1. During this time also, capital punishment and human government was established. The next covenant on the list is the Abrahamic covenant. It is also an unconditional covenant, and it was made to secure an innumerable seed to enjoy the land and the blessing and the world through them. This covenant has not been fulfilled yet, but it will come to pass in the millennial kingdom after Christ's second coming. The Gentiles are grafted in into this covenant, and it is also reconfirmed through the story of Isaac. And through Abraham and through Christ, all the families of the earth are to be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant is a promise for all of Abraham's spiritual children. The next covenant was given solely to the nation of Israel. It was called the Mosaic covenant. It consisted of the Ten Commandments and social judgments and religious ordinances. There were over 600 of these in the Bible. Because of its prominence in Jewish life, it's frequently referred to as the law. Spiritually, it was a conditional covenant of works, and due to its impossible requirements, it's a ministry of condemnation and death. It was designed to lead the sinner to redemption in Christ. This ended with the death of Christ because Jesus fulfilled the requirement for this and gives us grace and salvation through himself, through his sacrifice. The Mosaic Covenant was also referred to as the law as our schoolmaster. Next is the Davidic Covenant, which is an unconditional covenant as well. It secures a son of David as the sovereign to sit on a throne and reign forever. Currently, it is dormant, but the promise remains to be taken up when the son of David ascends David's throne in the millennium. It's mentioned in Luke 1.32 to Mary. Now, all these covenants were a foreshadow of things to come, of the new covenant, 
or the Messianic covenant, which is also a unconditional covenant. It also replaces the old covenant. It secures salvation, a new heart and forgiveness for all of God's people. It includes a return to the land and peace for future converted Israel, ensuring that they never again lose it through disobedience. There's also a mention of a land covenant in the Bible, which is unconditional and eternal, which will play a part in how all of these covenants play out. Now that we've seen an overview of each of these, of all of these covenants, they give us a timeline for each of the covenants, as well as a roadmap through the Bible and how these covenants, when they are active, they give us a roadmap for all the stories that we hear in the Bible. And they start to connect the dots of all of the people that we meet and what kind of government or what kind of covenant was going on at that particular time of their life and how these covenants affect different people groups today and in the future. After we see an overview of the covenants, we can read through Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 because it's not just theology chapters. It gives us an understanding of the mystery of God's will which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now that I've been exposed to the covenants of the Bible and understand how they work throughout the ages, chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians has come alive, and it explains so much more, and it's a little easier to understand. So I'll touch on Ephesians right now for just a bit, and then we'll do it again at the end of explaining all of this and Maybe we'll see how much more we understand of God and what he's written here. So Paul starts out in chapter 1 with greetings as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He saw Jesus. He touched him. He heard him. He was alive during the time that Jesus was on this earth. So he wears that title, and very few do. He sends grace and peace from God our Father. And this is in a letter not written just to the Ephesians, but also a letter that's written to us today. It transcends all time and comes to us right now as we're listening to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According to this, he says, it was at the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what God wants us to be. And he predestinated us unto being the adopted children of Jesus, according to his good pleasure, of his will. He wanted us to be his adopted children. He chose us to be in his family. If you belong to Jesus, you are not just anybody. You are special. Remember that God has chosen you. And why has he chosen you? He chose you for the praise and glory of his grace so that he can make us all accepted in the beloved. This is the first place where Paul takes a breather, the first period in chapter 1. Paul is so excited to share these things with the Ephesians, what God has shown him in his heart to share with them, not just with the Ephesians, but with us. Chapter 1, verse 7 continues, 
in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, because he abounds towards us in all wisdom and prudence. And here's the key, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, as purposed in himself, so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times so that during that time he might gather together in one all things that are in Christ, that being a very key phrase, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Because in him we have obtained an inheritance. If we're adopted, we receive the inheritance. And we're also predestined according to the purpose of him who works all these things after his own will. Now, that doesn't mean we're puppets, this predestination thing. It just means that being outside of time, God can foresee the things that we're going to choose. That may be difficult for us to understand when we're stuck right here inside of time. But if you picture God outside of time, or like, have you ever watched a parade where you're sitting at a particular spot on the curb and the parade comes towards you, it's in front of you, and then it goes past you. Well, picture a helicopter at the top that can see the beginning of the parade, where you're sitting, and the end of the parade. It's kind of the same, the best picture I can give you for being outside of time. The helicopter can see the beginning, the middle, and the end when we can only see what's right in front of us at the time. And Paul goes on to explain why God did all this. Verse 12 says, So that we should be to the praise of his glory, that we would be his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Here he takes another breather. Oh, I've shared so much. Your adopted, loved children that are predestined. And I did it because of my will. And yes, In past, this was a mystery, this mystery of this will. It was a mystery to the Jews, but it's now revealed in Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, in whom you trusted, talking to the Ephesians, you trusted in him, remember, after you, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the Bible and the message of the good news, you also, after this, you believed and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's like a down payment on a house. When you put that money down, that house is yours, but you don't have full possession of it yet. So this is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. What is? The Holy Spirit that he's given us. Until we receive the redemption of the purchased possession, and that is our eternal life with Jesus unto the praise of his glory, all for God's glory. He didn't have to do this. He could have let Adam and Eve die back in the garden because they were disobedient. But through each of these covenants and through so many people, everyone, not just them, us included today, sinful man keeps choosing disobedience rather than obeying God. We like to do things our own way. We want to do things our way. But God knows better. He made all of this. Yeah, he made the rules. 
So we need to either surrender and do it his way and live life to the fullest because he made us, he loves us, and he wants us to have a wonderful life in him. No, it's not always going to be perfect, but we have a hope for the future of being with him in a perfect world. Oh, soon, soon and very soon. But for now, we're still on this earth and sin is here. It's in our hearts. It's all around us and it looks ugly. But look up because there's a future and a hope that's coming. For right now, we need to be ambassadors for him, representatives of what all of this means. That's why it's important to take a look at these covenants, to take a look and see how they play out in the entire Bible, how they play out in our lives and how they play out for our future. So come back next time, and we'll learn some more together. If you've enjoyed listening to Moments with Moni, you can find a lot more information on the website at momentswithmoni.com. There'll be background information on each of the podcasts, a way to subscribe, and information to connect in many different ways. Thanks so much for listening.